Welcome to the Expat Rewind. My name is Stephanie and I will be your host in this experience. What we're doing in this podcast is reaching back into the first year of an expat or geopath's existence into something online, whether it was via a blog, Facebook, Instagram, any sort of social media feed, or even an email that they sent to a group of people that they knew. And we're going to reach back into that post where they told the world about their experience as an expat at Geopat. And then the expat at Geopat will reflect on what they think of, what they wrote, what they've learned since then, and anything else that comes up. So I will start out pulling those blog entries that I have from 2003 and 2004 in Taiwan, where I went to live and work and teach English. And then there'll be posts from other folks. And I will label the podcast as such, so you know if it's the ongoing narrative of my own blog or if it's a guest post from other folks. When I lived in the middle of the U.S., I found Amazon delivery services really, really useful. And so I'm excited to have an affiliate link with them. Here's how it works. You don't pay anything. You also don't get a discount. But when you shop normally with the link in the show notes, I get a slight percentage of what you buy. That's it. You click on it, you order, you pay, and then I will see some money show up in my account. And considering how much technology I need to get for the podcast, I need some funding. I'm a huge huge lit fangirl. I go to book readings and author events much like how most people go to rock concerts. Now, it's not that I don't go to live music concerts. It's just that I get really, really into the personalities of the people that I read, uh, of the the authors that I read their stuff on. And this is very true for big authors, small authors, new authors, uh, authors that have been doing their stuff for a long time, people that write articles in magazines, online, people that write blogs, books, I mean, you name it. I'm really non-discriminatory as far as media goes. And Hannah Lund falls into this category. I was a little intimidated meeting her because I really, really thought the piece that we talk about in this interview that she reviews from... um, while looking back on her first year in China, was really beautiful and funny and insightful and really masterful. And that kind of skill with writing touches me on such a deep level. And I almost didn't want to contact her. I almost didn't want to meet her once she said she'd be interested in doing the podcast. But uh, you got to move forward. (laughs) So... There's a story within the story that she creates about her first year and her kind of her fall from grace, her coming into her own, her disillusionment with uh, what she thought Hangzhou, China would be like, what China would be like, what she thought she would be like overseas. And I love it at one point, her mother has a reaction to not realizing that China was so modern. She's like, I didn't expect this many escalators. And and Hannah's like, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. And her mom said, but look, there's nothing worse for feeling otherwise. Like, it's okay that I'm having this emotion. And because it was that during that first year moment in Hannah's experience in China, she does what a lot of us do. And she reacts and overexplains and gets defensive about the place that they are trying to figure out as they're trying to figure out their own journey. But it's not all sappy. I promise you that. 
we move on from from super emotional moments. We talk a lot about ghost stories, Chinese ghost stories, Japanese monsters. We skip all over the globe between Minnesota, Iowa, Hangzhou, China, uh, Paris, Shanghai, all over the place. Uh, starting from 2012 up until current day. Now, the piece that Hana talks about is called The White Snake, and it was published in Concrete, which is one of the projects that the Shanghai Literary Review, a very, very intelligent and well-thought-out publication, put out earlier this year. I'll have all the information that you need about Hannah and about this, these publications and about the different things that we talk about in this interview in the show notes or on the Podbean website, uh, expatrewind.podbean.com. That is where all the information and all those lovely clickable links will be. The final thing I'll leave you with about Hannah and one of the things that she says repeatedly that I cannot agree with more about the first year of a new country is she talks about the urgency. And she also mentioned it was an, ur- an urgency she had in her 20s, her, the urgency to do something important, the urgency to figure things out, the urgency to and fill in the blank. But she kept saying the urgency about me, the urgency that I had. And I think that's really, really that's something that that's in that roller coaster the first year that we're in a country, and I think it's something that she really articulates in a way that I think you'll really identify with if you are an expat and you've been through that first year already, or if you've gone through any big change actually in your life, you've probably understood that kind of I need to settle down, settle in, figure this out. It's similar. It's not as drastic sometimes, but it's similar, and I think you'll understand that part of her journey. Anyway, there's so much more that I don't want to tell you about because I want there to be some surprises and there'll be plenty. And I think you'll really, really enjoy the, the, the openness, the vulnerability, the creativeness, the humor that is Hannah Lund. So let's dive in. All right. Thank you, Hannah, for joining us at Expat Rewind. I'm happy to be here. All right. Can you tell our listeners something about yourself? Well, you can call me Hannah. I am originally from the United States, from the state of Minnesota. It's in the north, pretty close to Canada. I am currently a graduate student at Zhejiang University studying comparative literature, and I am also interning at Sixth Tone as an editor. Fantastic. Should we dive in? We shall. All right. Do you want to kind of give us an idea of where it came from and when it was published and that kind of thing? Sure. The piece that I am going to be sharing, I wrote for the Shanghai Literary Review's special edition called Concrete. Um, The piece is called In Search of White Snake. I actually wrote it just this past year, but it's about my first year in China. I was a very different person at the time. I had just graduated um, from college. I was this young 22-year-old Um, So not only was I graduating from college, but also going to this very different environment. And I was also coming from this hyper-creative environment with my friends, and it was just a learning experience in many ways. And so this piece kind of reflects on what brought me to China, which was this um, fairy tale, and kind of the disillusionment that comes from realizing that life is not a fairy tale. All right, let's dive in. Okay. In Search of White Snake. If I were to say that a snake brought me to Hangzhou, I'm sure others might think I had drank too much Baijiu or dropped my sanity somewhere in West Lake. But it's true. I didn't move to Hangzhou for the deep perfume of its osmanthus petals or Jack Ma's Alibaba. I moved because of a snake. 
Madame Whitesnake, to be precise. I encountered her not in a cosmic act of fate, like that in her legend, but in Iowa, while sitting in a library carol surrounded by offensively orange carpet. I'd been researching Chinese ghost stories for my senior thesis when I found her coiled in her own Hongzhou, that is, within the pages of The Story of the White Snake. The Midwest is not always known for being a fantastical land, despite its many natural wonders. And yet, even if I had lived in a veritable wasteland, I could have turned it into paradise. I could find meaning in dust motes, I told my roommate with pride. I wove tales together, walking around old buildings and seeing petrified skulls where there were only rocks. My friends and I went on night walks and drank in the stars as the night obscured the terrible clarity of the world around us. We let the darkness elongate, all the more so that we could imagine something better. I saw ruins of a prayer circle where most saw a rounded bench. I saw a last refuge from a zombie apocalypse when others saw a crumbling bridge. When I studied Chinese characters in class, I let the ancient shapes take me far away. In Chinese, something as commonplace as a computer transformed for me into the literal dianao, or electric brain. And it seemed I didn't need to scrutinize the language so much to find poetry in the everyday. The world could be so beautiful, so fantastical, I thought, if only I could choose the more exciting version of what was already there. I began to study Chinese mythology and ghost stories delving into the pages of wondrous legends like that of Madame White Snake, and was not disappointed. The story of the White Snake is about two snake spirits, Bai Sujen and Xiao Qing, who transform into beautiful maidens and enter Hangzhou on the broken bridge. There, they meet a man named Xu Xian, whom Bai falls in love with. The two quickly marry. This incurs the wrath of the monk, Fa Hai, who knows perfectly well that Bai is actually a snake spirit. He informs Xu of his wife's true identity, and Xu dies from shock, leading to a string of adventures to bring him back to life. In the end, Fa Hai traps Bai under Leifeng Pagoda for all eternity. In other versions, she actually bests the monk and opens a medicine shop and starts a family with Xu. There is no definitive version of Madame White Snake, which is perhaps what drew me closer to her. She could be transfigured and immortalized in a story, any story, no matter the world around her. Whereas I could only hope to land a good job and carve out time for writing, Madame White Snake could shapeshift and go on death-defying adventures for love. <laughs> She was the kind of character I imagined I could be as a child, and the kind I didn't like being compared to as an adult for fear of seeing how I came up short. She fought for things, she followed her heart, and she went to strange places for their strangeness, not because anybody told her to go. Back in that library in Iowa, I read names like Leifeng Pagoda and Broken Bridge and imagined a Hangzhou in which people walked in long robes with gods and goats at their sides. Hangzhou. Even before I knew what it meant, it sounded poetic without even trying. As I picked the name apart and sought its literal or even obscure meanings, I learned that there were radicals for trees and rivers, and, and Hangzhou's name, Hangzhou, the Hong, 
character could also mean across stream or navigation. Most would correct me and say that Hong was merely an abbreviation for the city's name, but I was more than willing to see it as a place for navigation, where loose pieces could come together. It sounded like a place where I could be part of a waking dream. And as my thesis reached its conclusion and I began to think of moving to China to teach English after graduation, I came back to this idea of Hangzhou again and again. Where else but in Hangzhou could stories blossom about a white snake with a mouth like a red cavern, dodging a monk like Fahai? Where else would Fahai, the original vigilante, run around to capture renegade demons? I knew very little about Hangzhou in actuality, outside of its superlatives and slogans, but I already had a Hangzhou in mind and wanted to keep my version alive as long as possible. On the plain, I swallowed my creeping doubts and instead imagined myself at the prologue of my own version of The Story of the White Snake. I wondered how Madame White Snake would fit into the fabric of my new home. Would she be a heroine, villain, demon, or lover? As I soon found out, she and the city I grew to love would be all of the above. About nine million people live in Hangzhou. The city is a huge tourist attraction, bringing in thousands of visitors every holiday. This is to say that Hangzhou is very famous by Chinese standards, and while I thought I knew what crowds were like growing up in my population 50,000 hometown of Lakeville, Minnesota, I was in absolutely no way prepared for what would greet me once I landed. I wandered the block around my apartment, which was in Hangzhou's industrial zone, Xiaxia. Rather than gods and ghosts, I ran into factory workers who stared at me like I was the snake spirit and watched as the polluted, swollen sun set halfway down the sky, bleeding orange into the horizon's haze. Shasha wasn't even a city, and yet towering apartment complexes and streets of shopping centers and restaurants dazzled my eyes. This is China, where people live in the sky, a co-worker of mine said. At night, I looked out at apartment towers with lights twinkling from other rooms, my own constellations. Where would a ghost hide amid so much life and chaos? And yet, in spite of discovering a much more modern Hangzhou than I was prepared for, I was also happy to know that certain landmarks from the story still stood. Within my first week, I made a trip downtown, and much of the city's natural beauty and mystical poetic flair still shone through the congested streets. While standing in the midst of gray buildings, I caught glimpses of the lush green hills on the other side of West Lake. One side of the lake, an urban fugue, the other a green refuge. The causeways in the middle stretched like dashes in a poem, as if taking a breath, connecting two seemingly opposite ideas. After a couple months of busy adjustment, I went out to Leifeng Pagoda, Madame White Snake's final resting place. I was sure that there I would find the true Hangzhou. At the time, I wasn't sure how to get where I needed to go, a deceptively simple problem that has since become my life's tagline. To complicate things, my mother had come to visit me for Christmas, and while I was excited to show her around, I simply didn't know how to do that yet. To get to Leifeng Pagoda, I resorted to asking locals for directions with broken Chinese and a not-to-scale tourist map. 
I decided to use my best two out of three method, discovering that if two out of three people pointed me in one direction, it was likely to be more or less accurate. Passersby Jesper gestured further down the road, saying, not far. In the end, an old woman with a large canvas bag told us to follow her, and together we boarded a bus. It clanked along the streets, passengers wedged into the aisles. Stops listed in then-illegible Chinese characters clicked by, and I turned to the old woman to watch her reaction, while also smiling confidently for my mom's sake. Not yet, the old woman said. Couple more stops. The bus clanked on. Much of downtown Hangzhou blurred by. The neon signs for restaurants, karaoke bars, and towering shopping centers clanged like a pinball machine in my head, and I could only imagine how my mother had felt. At each stop, five more people got off, and six or more people got on. I edged closer to the window and sought the skies reflected off of the windows, or the clumps of camphor trees that signaled the arrival of the lake. The apartment complexes thinned, the lakeside greenery thickened. I leaned closer to the windows, excitement stirring once more. Hey! Hey! Foreigner! The old woman was gesturing wildly to the door as the bus slowed to a stop. We squeezed our way through the crowded walkway and finally got off. We were greeted by a sleek, trim pagoda with a double escalator leading to the entrance. Is this it? My mother said. I nodded, and we followed the trickle of tourists inside. The atmosphere felt akin to visiting a memorial, given its photos and models of the original along the walls. Plaques reminded us of the original pagoda and showed pictures of it and the process of reconstruction that followed. The pagoda was not like a new piece of art, but a reminder of how glorious the tower once was and what a pity that we could no longer enjoy it. To drive this point home, we went to the lowest level, to the original yellow and cracked foundations of the old tower. It glimmered from coins that tourists tossed inside for good luck, obscured by the glass's reflection of curious faces peeking inside. Of course, I had not expected to see an actual fictional snake spirit, nor did I think it would be the same as what stories say, but I had hoped that even a glimmer of its magic would still be there. It wasn't. If anything, I wondered if it's sometimes better to view events or places from a distance, to let imagination aggrandize and fictionalize them. Leifeng Pagoda, when seen from across the lake, rose out of the green tapestry as an emblem of when the world of ghosts and mortals collided. Up close, it was a memorial unto itself. I think it's nice, my mom said as we walked away. Can't say I was expecting escalators, though. Yeah, I said. You know, China is really modern and has changed a lot, and it's so important to appreciate that. My mom paused for a moment. True, she said. But then, there's nothing wrong with feeling otherwise. I don't. I love all parts of Hangzhou, I replied quickly. For the rest of the day, we walked through Hangzhou's tiered green fields of tea. From where we stood, the downtown skyline disappeared behind the hills. I wouldn't admit it, but I experienced something like relief that day as I watched the city disappear. Bai Shu Zhuan, my student Penny said, enunciating each tone carefully for my benefit. 
This was right after I'd led my first English class as a university teacher, a mere four months after I'd graduated from college myself. You said you'd read the story of the white snake. It's very romantic. Yes, some versions of it are romantic, I said, recalling how, in earliest versions of the story, Madame White Snake was actually the villain, not the lovelorn hero. Have you read it? Penny shook her head. Oh, no. But I've watched the TV series. You should find it. It would be good for your Chinese. My Chinese isn't that bad. Right, right, of course. It would be... interesting, then. Who knows? It might help you find your Xu Xian, she giggled. I smiled and tried to play it off, unaware that this would be the ongoing narrative for many classes to come. Whether the question took the subtle form of Penny's remark, or the blunt, Do you have a boyfriend? Why not find a Chinese boyfriend? This idea of romance found on places like the Broken Bridge was alive and well. From a narrative point of view, it would check a lot of story arc boxes for me to travel to the land of Madame White Snake, walk along the Broken Bridge, and meet my soulmate as I handed him an umbrella, just like in that first faded meeting between Madame White Snake and Xu Xian. But then, I also knew that my reasons for leaving my familiar haunts were not nearly so concise. For my students, romance was the kind of sweeping gesture that for them was best encapsulated in the city Paris. There, romantic French men would sweep girls off their feet and take them on whirlwind adventures like true Prince Charmings. I visited Paris, and while parts of it were indeed romantic, I would not say that it's known for fairy tale princes on the streets. Where my students saw gentlemen, I saw guys trying to get laid. While my students talked about the Eiffel Tower as a symbol of love, I could only think about the vendors down below selling knockoff keychains. In this sense, Hangzhou's Westlake was akin to my view of Paris's Eiffel Tower. Back in Iowa, I read about Westlake and pictured a willow-laden refuge where poets and fairy tales came alive. As my college friends and I spent time creating radio shows, poems, splatter paintings, and really anything we could get our hands on during our last couple months in school, I thought of Hangzhou as a sort of natural habitat where others would be just as hungry to create. But as I walked along Westlake's concrete shore with its tourist carts blaring a tinny rendition of the classical piece, The Butterfly Lover's Concerto, down sidewalks through jostling crowds, I thought of the Eiffel Tower keychains again and again. They had been created by someone, sure, but for a purpose that was not art. I quickly learned that Westlake itself was man-made, unlike the creation myth that had been ascribed to it. The myth sounded lovely, a teardrop, a pearl, and other striking images that would have delighted me back in my little library carol surrounded by the blaringly orange carpet. But the guilt was beginning to wear off no matter my poetic slant. Back in the U.S., my same creative friends were struggling to find postgraduate work. Our sprawling creative hours were slowly being sidelined by necessary everyday concerns. They told me that I should stay in China as long as possible and live out the dream as long as I could, and yet it was becoming harder to see Hangzhou gleam for me like it had before. I had to get closer to Madame White Snake. Only then would her story come alive once more. In a last-ditch attempt, suffused with irony, I went to the Hangzhou Zoo to view the city's collection of snakes. Rain spattered the ground as I reached the entrance, embedded in the hilly southern portion of Hangzhou. 
I walked in, splashing through wide puddles, and entered a hallway full of cages. A reticulated python coiled in a pool of water far away from the glass, but I received a shock when I saw the hundred pacer cage. The maroon-speckled snake had its belly, belly pressed against the glass, inching itself toward the vent above. The reptile area had green pit vipers, black adders, Chinese cobras, garter snakes, and stink snakes. Along the walls, diagrams indicated how far a snake could unhinge its jaw, while other diagrams showed how the, in the internal organs stretched to fit into the thin body. I drank in these ghastly, unbelievable details, the blare of the city disappearing behind me. Strolling down the hallway, I learned that many of these fearsome snakes were indigenous to the general area of Hangzhou, and yet in the time I'd spent in Hangzhou, I had only seen one snake, and it had been purely by accident. <laughs> snakes stay away from people if they can help it, one of the zoo workers said. He was a short man with dark green rubber boots. Do they ever attack people? I said. Not usually. We don't taste very good anyway. He blew a slow pillar of smoke out of his mouth and back up into his nostrils. Where's the white snake? I said. You know, like the story. He made the same gesture that many pedestrians in Hangzhou did when they knew the direction I needed, but didn't have time to tell me. A little further ahead, it meant. It's not far. Back in the hallway of snakes, I reached the cage that read, White Snake. The stories depicted a large white snake, at one point able to coil itself around Xu Xian. If this was the case, then the white snake could be as big as the reticulated python, or worse. Of course, fiction exaggerates, so I prepared myself to see a white snake with a small, ribbon-like body, like that of a green pit viper. But after all my effort to get there, I saw nothing among the leaves. Nothing other than a trail of paper-like skin where the white snake had once been. As I waited for this incarnation of Madame White Snake to appear, I thought of how, even if her tale had taken place 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago, she wouldn't recognize her city. Construction had added a skyline. Luxury brands and hotels dotted the downtown area, and some pedestrians wore Gucci handbags like name tags. Who knows? She might start a successful Weibo account and slide smoothly into this new land, <laughs> Or, as I saw in the empty snake skin in front of me, she might seek other abodes, or escape before even giving it a chance. Madame White Snake journeyed out from a familiar, magical world to strike out a new life with different rules, I thought, as I left the Hangzhou Zoo and entered the congested downtown fugue. Is it so wrong to go to places specifically because they're so different? What happened when they were different in ways you didn't want them to be? I didn't have the answer to this, just as I didn't have the answer to many questions that had materialized in the time I'd moved across the Pacific Ocean. All I knew was that my time in the quiet, serene hills of Hangzhou would inevitably come to an end, and that, like it or not, I had to leave its southern half and stomp onto the concrete shores once more. I had not seen Madame White Snake, at least not in the way I wanted. I could, and would, poeticize it however I wanted, but it would not be anything other than it was. It was like the white snake's discarded skin. The way I saw myself would at one point peel away, and there would be no use trying to reattach it once gone. No matter my fight to stay in old skin, it would scratch and chafe until it was time to remove it, 
and then there would only be what lay beneath. On my subsequent trips to the Broken Bridge, I could see why it held such importance to Madame Whitesnake's story. It spans West Lake and looks different every season. In the summer, the lotus leaves gasp open until they're taller than a person. In the fall, the trees are aflame with falling leaves. In winter, sometimes snow powders the bridge, making it look indeed broken in the middle. In spring, it all becomes a cool green mist. If lovers were to choose any Hangzhou spot to declare their love, this would be it. As I went there each time, I saw the ghosts of past stories all around. Of course, there were the more garish ones, vendors actually dressed in white ancient garb, selling umbrellas by the bridge to mimic the iconic opening scenes of the tale. Then, the more subtle, a young couple admiring the lotus flowers with shy smiles in the mist. But, inevitably, no Madam Whitesnake. I could never pinpoint the moment but as I now walk along West, Snape's, West Lake's concrete shores, the rocks are no longer petrified skulls, and the benches, benches only. I still imagine what the lotus leaves could look like, but after years living in this Hangzhou, I now see lotus leaves first. The mystical green willow trees that had enchanted me in Iowa blend with the concrete walkways. It's a funny thing, searching for a ghost. You think you can catch it, only to discover that by nature it can't be caught. I knew that I would never actually find Madame White Snake, and yet I had hoped to step into legend, to grasp an elusive truth embedded in the sway of those willows, to count myself among a, a privileged few to say, ah yes, Hangzhou, and know that it meant something. As the years passed in Hangzhou, I began to see Madame White Snake everywhere and nowhere all at once. She was on postcards, and she was in plays, she was on wood carvings, and she was in storybooks. The mystery of her romantic tale lived on in many corners of Hangzhou, and yet it was forever out of reach for those in pursuit of it like me. She was like Leifeng Pagoda, regal from a distance, disjointed up close. But then, my Hangzhou was also a fantasy land, an actual land, and everything in between. And so, I imagine Madame White Snake today. I imagine her gliding through my Hangzhou in a long white robe, a relic of the old world caught in the new. Her fingers might curl around Xu Xian's umbrella as she navigates the city sprawl, robe fluttering in the breeze. Her lips might twist into a slight smile as she sees a bill for a theatrical rendition of her story. She might summon Xiao Qing, the green snake, to go see it with her, or perhaps they decide to tuck in and download the TV series instead. As she strolls past three-story shopping centers, she might finger soft silks or pass them up for an H&M instead. She might hum along with the Butterfly Lover's Concerto as she waits to cross the street. She might journey to Leifeng Pagoda to peer into the old foundations of her prison, or she might toss in a coin for good luck. She might return to the broken bridge in the hopes that Xu Xian would find her someday, or she might meet him on one of the elevated walkways downtown. Or, as she winds her way through a now strange land, she might peer over her shoulder and disappear around a corner, 
the tail of her robe sliding along the concrete, skin shifting into white reptilian scales. Back into the world and out of sight. <laughs> Thank you. We have a few different ways that you can feedback. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com forward slash contact, let me do that a little slower. S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com forward slash contact. You'll see all kinds of ways you can contact me and let me know what you think of this podcast. I have email, WeChat if you're in China or uh, have used WeChat before and are still signed up, Twitter, LinkedIn, and my new favorite thing is SpeakPipe. Over on the right-hand side of that page, you'll be able to leave a sound recording, basically a voice message. You just hit the start recording button that's in bright orange, and uh, once you preview it and, and decide that you want to send that message, you press send, and I receive an email with the voice message. I can also respond in a voice message there as well. It's a really, really cool feature. I can't believe they have this available for free, but until they get smarter about that, I'm going to take advantage of it because it is such a cool feature. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your input. Oh my God, I have so many questions. Gosh, we've been going back and forth for a few months. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, I hope the first time I contacted you, I mentioned that someone had recommended I read your story Mm because they had lived in Hangzhou and they really, really, really just thought it was amazing. So I was like, okay, cool. So I I broke it out and I was like, oh my gosh. And I got swept up in it. Oh, And I said, well, no kidding. That's, that's a pretty amazing story. But what I, what I connected to that when I read it versus when I was listening to it was not totally different, but different enough. Hmm, And I want to go into that eventually, but I want to focus on your first year in China. Okay. I want to stay focused, but I'm just, I'm amazed how different it is to read it versus listen to it. Mm. And that's, that's just really, really cool. Okay. Point being questions about you back <laughs> then. I had to draw a timeline cause I, I, I'm, st- I've forgotten the exact time differences. So the year that you actually went through your first year in China, what year was that? Uh, I arrived in September 2012. 2012. Right. And the year that you wrote this was last year, 2017? Yeah, I mean, I'd been, it's, it had been in the works for a couple of years, so I think I started the first draft sometime in like 2016. 2016, okay. Far enough removed that it was still definitely looking back. <laughs> Fair enough. The parallel between Madame Whitesnake's life and your life and her personality characteristics and your personality, and that is just it's so strong. Did you see yourself in her when you first read these stories? The story or stories? I had read the original story, which was, I think it was called, like, The Prisoner Under Thunder Peak Pagoda, which is supposed <laughs> to be Leifeng Pagoda. Sure. And I don't think, I don't think I saw myself like her at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I just thought, like, what a sweet story, like, like a snake demon and, like, all the stuff going on is so cool. I've yeah. always been kind of interested in more fantastical stories. Gotcha. So I think I was more fascinated in that. I think I didn't really start to connect with her on a deeper level mm-hmm. until I had actually come to China. Mm-hmm. And actually, I should mention my senior thesis, I had tried to write a version like that utilized the White Snake story oh. into a kind of story. I mean, it's it's one of those stories where I've kind of just set it aside mm-hmm. for now sure, for sure. I don't know how long, but it's okay. definitely kind of a mess. <laughs> but like, so I delved more into her as the character. But I will say when I did start to see a connection, like my poetic brains like latched onto it like mm-hmm. oh my god that there is a connection oh. <laughs> what is that connection well I think something that I was 
kind of exploring in the piece was just mm-hmm. this idea of going into a strange land, mm-hmm. but also there's a lot of transformation in mm-hmm. the tale. Like, of course, there's literally transforming. Mm-hmm. She goes from being a snake to a human, but then she transforms from being this demon with no connection to the human world mm-hmm. to marrying this guy and falling in love with mm-hmm. him. And so there's some inner transformation too. And so I think in many ways, I connected to that, this idea of traveling to a place very strange mm-hmm. from your own, and then because of it, transforming into someone mm-hmm. else, something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was definitely a changing or growing, a transforming, a metamorphosis, all of that uh, in the story. And there's one part where you say, oh, how the universe tricks us into going to places we don't need to go. Wait, was that you or that me? Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> it might have been you, but I like that, that line. It might have been me. It's I like that line, though. It's a good one. I wrote all over this, as you can kind of see. <laughs> from <where> I have so many questions. Um, so, okay, maybe it was me, but I thought I was... No, because I don't have it in quotes. Where did we... So, I think what I was... <laughs> sorry, I wrote these so long ago. Um, at some point during the story, I was just like, oh my gosh, the story and Madam Whitesnake kind of tricked you into getting to China because you needed to be here for... Right. (laughs) I ask myself that a lot, too. What initially drew me to China? Mm -hmm. Um, I will say I had... um, I will say that I had a fascination with China for Mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so after I graduated, I honestly didn't have another option in mind. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, the next step was go to China. Yeah. And it was, you know, this story made me interested in Hangzhou, mm-hmm. as you could probably tell from the um, the essay. I was interested in this idea of Hangzhou yeah. and, like, this mystical place. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, and so I guess, like, in a way, maybe it did trick me to going to Hangzhou in particular. But if it was a trick, mm-hmm. then it was a very good, fortuitous trick, because I did actually, once I had settled more into Hangzhou, I did have a really wonderful time there. Yeah, yeah. And how long were you there for? Well, I was actually in Hangzhou on and off for six years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Significant amount of time. First as an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Then I went back to America for about six months, I think. Mm-hmm. And then as a graduate student, I was at uh, Zhejiang University, which mm-hmm. is also in Hangzhou. All right. Now, you mentioned Iowa at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Were you at the University of Iowa? I. No, I went okay. to Luther College, which was a small liberal arts ah, school okay. in Iowa. I realized okay. that as I was reading. Like, I mentioned I was from Minnesota, but then suddenly here's Iowa. A lot of people go to universities in different states and whatnot. Okay. Mm-hmm. What part of Iowa is, in, is that? Um, it's actually in Decorah, which is near the north of Iowa. Oh, okay. Like, it's okay. one of those things like, you know, okay, Decorah, is, it's gorgeous. I'm mm-hmm. not just saying this to, like, upsell mm-hmm. part of my past. Like, it is a, <laughs> it's a gorgeous town. Yeah. And, like... There are, like, there's waterfalls, and there's these bluffs, and there's wow. like, all kinds of hiking. It's, yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. And so, like, and so, like, that's the thing. Like, I had all these, I had very imaginative friends. We'd walk around and, like, having, almost like children having imagination games, you know. But, like, it was already a very beautiful place. Right, right, right. But definitely, like, very, like, people think of Iowa, they think of just, like, a bunch of cornfields. But, yeah. you know, that... That was definitely not Decorah, and I think Iowa is actually a lot more diverse than that. Wow, okay, that was the part of Iowa I lived in. <laughs> oh, really? You lived in Decorah? I, no, 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 not there. I lived in Ames. I lived in the corn farm. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were lots of, lots of farms. <laughs> and my school, and then lots of student housing, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> okay, so pretty different from Decorah, then. Super different. And I thought it was going to be, like, lots of great farmer's market, lots of diversity of agriculture and that kind of thing, but it was such agribusiness mm-hmm. that it wasn't the stuff that generally we were concerned consuming necessarily Mm. so eh, it was still pretty 
And it snowed, which is beautiful in and of itself. So mm. no complaints there. It was a nice place. But not as beautiful as that as decor sounds. Decor is gorgeous. Why did you write this? Because you wrote it about four years after you lived it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Why, what was the catalyst for writing it? Well, I think I originally started thinking about it because around that time, or maybe a couple years before that, I don't remember, I tried to go back to that fictional story I'd written my mm-hmm. senior year. I mm-hmm. wanted to try and rework it. And that opened up this idea of like who I was at the mm-hmm. time because even through my writing style, I could kind of tell there was a sense of urgency mm-hmm. there. That I mean, I still have a sort of urgency about me now, I guess, mm-hmm. but like nothing compared to when you're in your early 20s yeah. and like everything feels like it has to be done <laughs> right now. Yeah, or else what is life? You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why isn't this done yesterday? What What's happening here? <laughs> so like going through the story and kind of reworking and looking at some of those details mm-hmm. and started to kind of think about not just the story of the white snake, but mm-hmm. how I fit into that. I guess the original reason I started writing it is there was like this travel writing competition I saw and I thought, well, I'm going to write about Hangzhou. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going in a very creative nonfiction route and I realized mm-hmm. I had a lot to unpack there. And so I thought maybe this isn't the right place to put this essay. Maybe I just need, mm-hmm. I need to write it, but maybe I need to hold on to it for a bit. Oh, okay. So how long were you hold on? Uh, hold, bleh, how long did you hold on to it for before it found a home? Um, and is the, is is concrete its first home? Or uh, yeah, it first concrete is its first home. I held on to this for maybe a year or so, mm-hmm. and I always had it at the back of my mind thinking like, I think there is value in this, mm-hmm. but I just need to find the right place to put it. Sure. And I, and I'd gotten involved with the Shanghai Literary Review, and they had this coming out specifically about cities, and I thought, well, there you go, it's creative nonfiction about cities, and. Also, I, I know the editor, Julie, and she's mm-hmm. like was super great to work with, like really great feedback and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Now, I guess it's uh, this episode's going to come out in a few weeks, but it's advantageous to say it's what November fourth, and we're just past Halloween. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned ghost stories, and I mean, essentially, mm-hmm. she is a ghost story, yes. <laughs> especially in that first first year for you, and even before that. Um, do you think of that story during Halloween or any particular time of the year? Is there any time when Madame White Snake comes up in your mind now? Hmm. Um. I guess I'm not sure I think about that specifically around Halloween, but it does, like, I think about ghost stories a lot. I yeah. should probably yeah. say. Like, not specifically <laughs> around Halloween, but in general, I like ghost stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me too. What is it about ghost stories that you like? You know, funny thing, I actually did just write an essay about this, like, for Six Tone. I think it's this idea of, like, seeing something very strange as a reflection of you, in a way. Like, you learn a lot about yourself by seeing something so strange outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, like, more conventional fiction can't quite do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you need something... It's almost like the idea of, like, traveling... Whereas, like, when you travel someplace and then come back, you're looking at it with new eyes. If mm-hmm. you travel to, like, a very fantastical land in literature, you come back changed. So you've got the double duty of the ghost story in your head as you come to Hangzhou in a different, like, going to a different place. You've kind of got both of them going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Did that feel heavy to you, or did it just feel, like, magical when you first arrived? I think when I first arrived, it probably was a bit heavy, mm. um... Because I had all these expectations, like, I'm going to come here, mm-hmm. and I'm going to, like, really understand Hongzhou, and I'm going to understand this ghost story. And like mm-hmm. I said, like, that urgency yeah. of when you're 22, <laughs> and you're thinking, like, and I have to figure it out, and I have to do it mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as time went on, I had a little more breathing room, and, like, t- 
time to process it. But definitely when I first arrived, I'd be thinking, okay, I need to go to Westlake. I need to see like what it's like. I have to like see what, is it, is it a shore? Mm-hmm. Is there grass there? I need to know so I can describe it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> How long before you got to Hangzhou to when you went to Westlake? I actually went there within, or no, I tried to go there within the first week. I say tried mm-hmm. because I got really turned around on a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So I got really lost. And I remember walking around the city trying to ask like, hey, where's West Lake?" And people were probably thinking, it's so far. What are you doing? <laughs> but they were nice. They're like, oh, it's that way. And yeah. eventually it was getting late and there wasn't a subway in Hangzhou yet. Oh, um, wow. I know. I've been in Hangzhou yeah. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't a subway yet, and so the only way back was this rickety bus, and I, was, mm. I only knew where the terminal station was. I was getting worried. Yeah. So then the question changed from where is Westlake to where is this terminal for the bus? Yeah. <laughs> and eventually this old man, I think, just kind of took pity on me. He walked me all the way to the bus stop. Aww. I know, that was really nice of him. And actually, like, made sure I got on the bus and everything yeah, was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we go to the point of making a parallel between Madame Whitesnake's journey in the story and your journey in Hangzhou? Can we overlay that at all? <laughs> I, I think so. Or at least mm. that's, like, what I think we as literary people, like, mm. it's definitely what I want to do. And, mm. like, I like there being some kind of, maybe not, like, like a connection anyway. I yeah. Think. Like, I like that. I don't know. I feel there is, and may, I can't, the thing is, I can't tell if it's something I did on purpose mm-hmm. because I had arrived with the story in my head mm-hmm. or if it's something that just happened. But I feel like... The connection I wanted mm. when I first arrived in Hangzhou is probably different from the connection that actually happened. Mm. Like, like maybe the connection I wanted when I first arrived in Hangzhou was kind of like this, like an adventurous, like legendary thing. And I was going to make a name for myself and do all this stuff. Whereas the connection that happened later mm-hmm. was maybe more internal and this idea of trying to live with major contradictions within yourself. Oh, God, that's so hard. It is so hard. <laughs> and in many ways, I feel like I haven't succeeded in that sense yet. But I, that's what I mean. You grow into this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I feel like that patience with ambiguity takes forever. Mm-hmm. And I think being like living overseas kind of puts that in your face mm-hmm. for a while. And I think that's why sometimes people go overseas and they leave instantly. is because it's very hard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I don't have to do this back home. <laughs> yeah. Or at least I don't have to do this at such a rapid pace. Right, like I can kind of pace myself a bit more. Whereas, yeah. And that was kind of the thing. It was like both a big transition because mm-hmm. I was leaving university mm-hmm. and also just being abroad. And yeah. And, like, <sighs> and definitely I was a very different person mm-hmm. back then. I was far more, I think I saw myself as like a rugged individualist. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do this myself and I can take care of it. <laughs> I got this and all this stuff. And it was also being in Hangzhou was also like a slowly, like a slow breaking down of that idea of yeah. myself. And, like, letting myself be vulnerable and mm-hmm. letting people see me being vulnerable and being willing to ask for help when you need it. Kind yeah. Of was it a slow change or would, was there a, a defining moment where you were just like, I can't keep acting like this. I have to change. Mm-hmm. I would say it's probably a little bit of both. Like, mm-hmm. I think it definitely took me a while to kind of break that kind of hard exterior down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do remember a moment <clears throat> within the first six months I was in Hangzhou where I just had one of those mornings, you know, where you just can't figure it out. Things are just not coming mm-hmm. together in a way that it happens, you know, back in America, but it's just really extreme in mm-hmm. China where it's like, I can't do anything. And and then when I, I got to school and I was like, you know, really grumble, 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 upset. And I told one of my coworkers about it. And she just laughed and it occurred to me, you know, that is kind of funny if you think about it. You know, I've, been, I've taken myself so seriously for so long and I've been like almost like... 
I have to be like meaningful. Like I wanted to be mm. adult and serious and meaningful. I realized, yeah, actually, it's just kind of a silly situation. It is kind of funny. I think once I let myself just see the humor in things, mm-hmm. it really broke down a lot of that. You know, I for could sure, for sure, just kind of laugh about it and say, you know, sometimes you just fail and it just mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you're less of a person. And it's almost like living overseas, the more you fail, the quicker you'll adjust. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think someone said, like, the best way to learn a language is to just be comfortable losing Mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm. That is how you'll learn the language. Oh, my God. Speaking of language, how much Chinese did you know before you moved here? I had studied Chinese for about two years in Mm -hmm. university, but I would say two years that I'm not in China is about equal to one year in China, just because you don't have the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I did have a good Chinese teacher, though. She mm-hmm. So I, I had a pretty strong foundation of, like, pinyin and some really, like, good basic Chinese. Mm-hmm. It was the listening that mm-hmm. I did not have. Which, yeah. how could you if you haven't been in China? Mm-hmm. But I also, there was a lot of pride, maybe a little arrogance, mm-hmm. when I first arrived in China, thinking, mm-hmm. like, I know Chinese. <laughs> I'm fine. I've got this. And <laughs> I think this one moment that kind of made me realize that I needed to maybe tone it down a bit... <laughs> I, I thought my Chinese was so good, but actually I had just memorized the order of questions people would ask you, you know, like... There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Like, where are you from? <laughs> Why are you in China? Like, I, was, I had the order down. Yeah. And so this one guy was saying something. I was walking on the street and I thought like, oh, I know. He's asking me where you're from. And what he was actually saying was, hey, look out. There's like, oh, no. like a crack in the street. And so what he sees is me going, I'm American. It's like tripping and <laughs> falling on my face. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I know. I mean, it's not awesome. I'm sorry. Well, I, didn't, I didn't hurt myself, so Good. it's fine. It's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But that's, that's what hilarious. I mean. Like, yeah. looking back, it's funny, and it's fine to laugh at yourself yeah. sometimes. And, like, yeah. that was when I thought, like, okay, maybe my Chinese is not that great. I saw a guy on Instagram a couple of months ago who had the five questions in t-shirt form. Oh, God. In, in Mandarin Chinese, in the Hansa characters. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, heart, how can I not like that? I know, exactly. Sometimes. There it is. Sometimes you just want that signed. But yeah. like, here are all the answers you yeah. want. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, I'm sorry. you're right. I'm sorry. It was the answers, not the questions. Yeah. So it was like, okay, if you're going to ask, here you go. Now can we talk about something else? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. That's a really funny moment. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Do you remember when you got up? Were you, like, looking around? Like, did anybody see me? Did you see him? Like, what was the follow-up to that moment? <laughs> I think I just, like, scuttled away in shame. Yeah. I was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's so embarrassing, running away. And it's interesting, too, because, like, thinking back, I kept I kept pretty... I kept a lot of journals at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. and so it was interesting looking back on those journals. I was definitely a lot more insecure back mm-hmm. then, too, which I think a lot of us can relate to, yeah. right? And so I, um, so I was way more worried about, like, oh, my God, people are staring at me. What have I done? Like, mm-hmm. what's what's wrong with me? Whereas now it's just kind of like, why are you staring? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> oh, did I just do that? Oh, God. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or just kind of like... Uh, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so when your mom came to visit in the story, mm-hmm. in real life, in the story, in real yeah. life, in the story, you mentioned she had ideas of Hangzhou before she came to, and she's like, this escalators, wait, what? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Did you guys sit down and kind of compare what she thought before she came and what you thought before you came? Um, I'm not sure that we did, and I, I wish that we did. I don't know, like... Like I said, at the time, I think I was really concerned about my mom not having, like, a certain idea of China that yeah. I was that I was almost over-adjusting for that, yeah. or, like, I'd almost be, like, jockeying too much, because mm-hmm. I think, like, oh, I don't want her to have this idea of China. And so I think, in a way, I may have prevented, like, a really 
nice conversation about like how do you actually feel about China, but um, were I, you trying to make her feel comfortable that you were living here or yeah a bit I think also I guess like I didn't want her to leave China thinking like all of China is ancient mm. or also not thinking like oh China is super communist and scary yeah. kind of thing and yeah, so yeah yeah. So I think there was a bit of that. But I, I do know that, like, we actually had a pretty interesting visit. Because mm-hmm. al- although I feel bad that I just didn't really know how to show her around. And mm-hmm. so, like, I, she didn't get out, she didn't get as much out of it as I would like her to. But, like, we went to, like, a friend of a friend who lived in, like, the countryside mm-hmm. of Yangzhou. So that was a pretty intense experience. Like, we're in, <laughs> like, a yeah. true Chinese countryside. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And... We spent most of our time in Hangzhou, mm-hmm. but... I think when we talked about stuff, like, she was curious. Like, she knew I'd been working on the story, so we talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to know about school. Honestly, I'm not sure we had, like, the deep, like, what do you think about China conversation. But we talked more about day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I I just didn't, like, realize mm-hmm. how probably scary it was for her to have me living so far away. Mm-hmm. Because I think in my mind, I was just like, yeah, I'm in China, whatever. And like, now that I'm older, I kind of recognize like, oh, that was probably like, really stressful for my mm-hmm. mom. And it was probably really important for her just to see me like being fine in China. Yeah, yeah. Do you so. have brothers and sisters? I do, both the older brother and older sister. Are they still in the U.S.? Or Yes, okay. yes they're both in the U.S. So you were the only one that, yep. that left and went super far away. Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> and, yeah, like both of my brother and sister, like they had been abroad, like they had traveled abroad, but like yeah. I'm the only one who lived abroad. Right, right, right. So yeah, like looking back, I can recognize like, okay, probably... You know, she said she wanted to spend Christmas with me, yeah. but I think really she just wanted to, like, make sure I was doing fine That's in China. so sweet. It was really sweet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I get it. When you're first breaking out and you want all this adventure and then somebody comes to check up on you, you're like, I'm fine. I'm going to show you how fine I am. Here's how great this place is. And it's like... I know. Defensive. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of my first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I look at, looking back, like, I was definitely a bit defensive. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I think, like, oh, I kind of wish I could like go back and not be that way but I think of it instead like next time my mom right exactly next time my mom comes like I will be way more chill and like we can just hang out and stuff and it'll be good yeah 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 totally oh look I've been I spent the better part of 15 years living in different countries overseas mostly in Asia and a friend of mine who lived in Qingdao for what three four months Mm -hmm. before coming to visit me in Shanghai came down and I still did a very curated thing of showing her different parts of Shanghai so she wouldn't just get the idea of it's just the French concession. Mm-hmm. It's just the Bund. It's just mm-hmm. these older streets that are very Chinese looking but are kind of worn down and kind of need some repair. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that she saw all of these different parts so she'd walk mm-hmm. away with this full thing and I was exhausted. Yeah. And I'm like, but you live in China. Why am I trying to explain <laughs> China to you? <laughs> it's, like, it's like you have this need. You can't help it. You have this need to yeah. show like... China is diverse. There's so much to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it can be, and it can be exhausting. And like mm-hmm. at a certain point, like people are just going to see what they see and that's yeah. just what happens. I know. I know. But does that ever completely go away? <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I kind of doubt it, but like now maybe I, I feel like I've gotten a bit more forgiving with myself yeah. and also with other people, mm-hmm. um, where I don't, I try not to give myself the burden of like, I have to represent China for other sure. people. It's just yeah, like, yeah. you know what? There are a lot of ways people can learn about China, like, not just through me. There's tons of, like, if you can't make oh, it yeah. to China, because, I mean, it is pretty far away. Yeah. Like, there are tons of books. There mm-hmm. are tons of, like, Chinese people doing interesting things, mm-hmm. you know. Like, there's a lot of that. For sure. For sure. For sure. Okay, so the Eiffel Tower, 
idea while you were in Westlake. I jotted down that I was like, end of the expat honeymoon period, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> was that when the veneer was starting to wear away and you were starting to realize I'm really here? You know, it's interesting because like it kind of went through stages. I think like when I finally did like make it to Westlake mm. and like wasn't lost, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like I was actually pretty disappointed because, mm. you know, first of all, like I found out like the writer part of me was like, oh, I described it wrong in my story. There isn't, a, <laughs> you know, like there isn't a bank on the lake, right. it's, like, a concrete shore, and like. If you're writing historically, probably it wasn't a concrete shore by the time I was like, oh, I did it wrong. Um, <laughs> but like there was, yeah, there was like these concrete walkways and like a ton of people and like mm-hmm. just, it was really not what I expected. And so right. I felt definitely, I will be honest, like when I first landed in Hangzhou, I felt pretty disappointed by like how modern it was. But mm-hmm. then immediately follow up thought was, of course it's modern. It's 2012. What was I expecting? Yeah. Why was I thinking it was going to be like pagodas everywhere it's not gonna be like it's it's 2012 mm-hmm. the, the olympics have happened in china right. clearly it's a modern country right but i think the first time the veneer started to wear off i actually i was within the first month actually for that i think it was a combination national holiday and mid-autumn festival mm-hmm. um i was visiting a friend of a friend like a friend's Uncle is kind of a complicated thing. But anyway, yeah. I went to his home. This was the countryside of Yangzhou person. Mm-hmm. And they're very nice. We had a good time. But then, like, I was still kind of in adventure mode, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in a different place. What an adventure. Yeah. But then, like, the, the whole thing with mid-autumn festivals, like, you look at the moon and you think about people at home and blah, blah. And, like, <laughs> and, you know, what I did, and I was like, this is, this is fun. But then I started to think, like, I'm here for a while. Because I had signed, like, a nine-month contract. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm actually going to be in China for a while. Oh, and there was kind of this moment where I thought, what am I doing? (laughs) And, like, I hadn't prepared, done a lot of class preparation during that break, and so it was also quickly followed by, like, some frustrating classes where I couldn't get it right. And so it's kind of like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. And thinking, like, and, like, thinking of my friends back in America, like, oh, they're going to be, like, starting their careers. And, like, you you can't help but compare yourself to, like, Mm -hmm every other person in the world pretty yeah, much yeah, yeah. well it's funny that you mentioned that because I had also written down live out the dream as long as you can like your mm-hmm. friend saying that to you mm-hmm. did you feel that was like pressure for you to like show them how wonderful this this is this is this experience that you're having overseas absolutely I mean they definitely they didn't mean anything bad about it but for sure I would I felt kind of like oh wow so I really need to make like treasure this and make it worth it because if because it's gonna stop someday and like as soon as I'm out of China, life is going to be hard, mm. and I have to, and, like, when I go back, I'm going to just, like, completely fail, and everyone's going to be, like, waiting for that day to happen, because, like, I had this great adventure, and, like, mm. of course it's going to end, and, like, mm. see, we told you so, back in America, it's hard. All this, I know. That's a lot. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, and, like... Where did that come from? <laughs> um, part of it was just, like, my own anxiety. Mm. Part of it, too, is, like, I, um, there there was somebody, like, at one point who said, who kind of said, like, I, like, a really horrible part of me, like, because I've been doing a lot of exciting stuff, I've been traveling, mm. it's like, a hor- horrible part of me can't wait until, like, you come back and fail for a little bit. Somebody said that to you? Wrote it in an email, yeah. Oh, my God. And, yeah, it kind of, kind of stuck with me. But, Whoa. But, like... I already had, like, a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, and people saying, like, mm-hmm. and kind of this idea between expats, especially if you're teaching English, where it's, like, you're not avoiding reality, you're just delaying it. Yeah, like, this yeah, kind of yeah. idea, like, someday the ball's going to drop, 
and like life's going to get hard for you and that you're living out of fantasy right now. How oh, as if expat life is so easy. Maybe some of these are true, but also the thing of you can't run from yourself and all that kind of stuff. I'm like you. I ran towards something interesting. I wanted to see and experience different things. I didn't run from something. I didn't think or I wouldn't come with me. Like everybody's mm-hmm. like, you can't out- outrun yourself. And I'm like, Ah, what is all this stuff? Right, like, I definitely wasn't trying to outrun myself. Mm. I don't think I went to China to find myself either. It was yeah. just one of those things where, like, my, myself kind of happened, like, wherever I went. Yeah, like, of course. Like, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. I'm gonna figure out myself kind of no matter where I am in the world. Exactly. And, like, it's funny because I, I did tell my parents, like, I could make it work in America. And they were mm. like, nah, you would have hated it. <laughs> They're just like, nah, we're happy you went abroad. Like, it's it was clearly the right decision for you. You probably would have, but that doesn't... I right, it, would have, it just yeah. would have been very different. Different, they were yeah, just yeah, saying, yeah. Like, They're saying, like, we're not doubting your capacity to be able to do this. Right. We're just saying, like, this was clearly a good decision for you to go to China. Right, 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 right. That you obviously flourished once you were here, that kind of thing. But you yeah. probably would have been fine in both situations. Right, right, right. So what do you think of the ideas that you had about Hangzhou before you got here? What do you think of those ideas now? Mm. I think my ideas of Hangzhou definitely steeped in a lot, I think probably a lot of, I guess, uh, maybe prejudices about, like, what China would be like. Mm-hmm. Like, you think of, like, Orientalism mm-hmm. and those ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, I was definitely coming from, like, some of those ideas of, like, mm-hmm. this kind of exotic place far away and, like, what a different culture and, like, the gods and the ghosts idea, the mystical culture. So part of that was definitely, like, I will not deny that part of it was definitely that. But also, I was the kind of person that just, I would find the weird part or the unusual kind Mm -hmm. of exotic part of pretty much anywhere I would go. I kind of seek that stuff out. Mm -hmm. But I think my ideas of Hangzhou, I definitely saw it as, like, I was picturing it being way more ancient Mm -hmm. and, like, not such a big city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though... I had Chinese friends at Luther who were telling me, like, oh, it's a pretty big city. And, like, they were looking mm-hmm. at the map, like, oh, you actually live pretty far away from the lake. And so they were telling me these yeah. facts. And yeah, I was yeah. still like, that's nice. I'm still imagining, like, this, you know, <laughs> really romanticized <laughs> idea of China. My first place that I lived in overseas was Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I saw tropical island because I looked at weather more than I did anything else and Mm -hmm. it was 2003 so there wasn't as much online about it as there is now but I was just envisioning island Mm -hmm. very casual clothing very relaxed atmosphere (laughs) very very chilled culture very empty cities you know most people are just kind of doing stuff slowly Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not that one not at all (laughs) and I was in a city I wasn't down in Kending or I wasn't over on the on the not the West Coast, the East Coast, which is the mirror image of California. No, 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 no. I was in Tainan, which is not Taipei, but it's still a major city-ish. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a concrete jungle. And so I got there and just went, where's the casual clothing? Where are people right. relaxed and friendly? Like, what? I mean, they were friendly enough for a city, but I was just like, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's it's funny what we mm-hmm. envision despite facts being available. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think a lot of the ideas I had about Hangzhou were just ideas I had about China in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of I kind of had this hybrid idea of who it's going to be really ancient. I think mm-hmm. this idea is, like, very similar to, like, probably what a lot of Americans mm-hmm. think, where it's, like, on the one hand, you kind of expect it to be, like, very traditional mm-hmm. and exotic, and on mm-hmm. the other hand, you're expecting, like, ooh, Big Brother is everywhere, and, like, yeah. it's going to be super, like 
draconic and like rules and rules. <laughs> no, like there's like one of my first things I saw was this guy smoking right under a no smoking sign. I saw like there were like police officers. I'm thinking like, oh my god. And then I see someone like walking toward him like. Sorry, I'm lost. Can you tell me how to get? And he was like, well, sure. Just go down this street. Turn right to like this super nice cop. Just like, yeah, go here and here and here. Good luck. Have a nice day, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's so funny. It's so much more nuanced here than the gets per, what gets portrayed in the media. Yeah, and like the same yeah. for sure goes for America, especially these days. Like, yeah. It's, it's more nuanced than that, I, I promise. I don't know if it is anymore. <laughs> I, it was when I used to tell my students, now don't believe everything. You All of that's there, but there's a lot more other stuff too, and I mm-hmm. feel like it's the same living in China, mm-hmm. talking to Americans about China. It's like you guys would actually like each other <laughs> if you just stopped it with the extreme, yeah, yeah, extreme yeah. sharing. Like it's just... Uh, right, right. But I mean, so like it's... That's kind of the longer I've been in China, mm. the more I've wanted to try to help China represent itself, mm-hmm. um, which is actually why I was excited to work with a place like Six Tone, mm-hmm. where I could like help Chinese writers write about China, yeah. which is like super exciting. And, you know, I've had people tell me like, oh, you should work for the government, like the American government. Um, this is like well before <sighs> yeah. stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But like, <laughs> but it's one of those things where I was like, you know, actually I'm not super interested in representing America. I'm more interested mm-hmm. in, like, improving understanding of China, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And that's a really good publication. I know. <laughs> I mentioned Six Tone quite a bit on this. And actually, in the Changing Scripts, like, Chinese language podcast that I do, I interviewed Lucy from there. I'm one of the, oh, yeah. the uh, social media folks mm-hmm. over at Six Tone. But, um, yeah, it's a really, really great organization. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey expats and geopats, what do you do with the annoying paper mail that you get to your old addresses in your home country? For a few years, I'd have all of my mail forwarded to one friend, and then I'd feel guilty for bothering them so much. So then I'd have a family member um, deal with my mail, and so on and so forth. And I did this for about, like, what, 12, 13 years. And it got annoying, and let's face it, I missed some mail because people have better things to do then look after my paper correspondence. So I finally broke down and got a service from Traveling Mailboxes. They will literally receive your mail. You get a U.S. address. You get to pick the city that it's in, and you receive mail. And they'll let you know when mail comes in. They'll open it, scan it for you so you can read it. If you really need to, they'll forward it to you for a fee. You can also get packages delivered as well. And so there's like a variety of different services that you can have where you don't have to keep bugging your friends and family to deal with your paper mail. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com, it's S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. If you go to the bottom, you'll see the blue ad on the right, Traveling Mailbox. Click on that. I am now an affiliate program with them, so if you join their services, we both end up very, very happy campers, and you never have to ask your friends or family to receive your mail again. It's truly a beautiful thing. But part of that view that we both kind of had of, of China I think is something that China kind of projects also to the world, it, with the, whether within the Confucian Institutes that they have the, the language classes with the culture heavily, you know, as a component of or via other ways that they try to massage medium and whatnot. I think it's part of what they put out there too, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's interesting. I just went to a lecture last night and the guy was talking about representations of China in music and how, like, mm. there was this 
song. I think it's, was it Molly Hua or something mm. like that, where I think he was actually originally from a Western interpretation <clears throat> of China. Mm-hmm. And then, like, China kind of picked up the song saying, like, this is what Westerners are used to, so this is kind of our song now. And he was saying, this is flawed. Whoa. We should be teaching them, like, songs that actually represent our culture. And we shouldn't choose songs mm-hmm. based off of, like, what a Western palette would enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, ooh. Or, yeah. like, I don't... Again, I don't know the specific name of the song and those details, because it's already kind of foggy from last night. But sure. there was a song. I think there is kind of this... Um, like, China is trying to be more present in the mm-hmm. world. Like, mm-hmm. culturally present, I mean. Yeah. But, like, it definitely... When you look at tourism videos of China, it still does emphasize, like, ancient tea culture right. and silk and all that stuff. Yeah. And that is... It's definitely a part of China, but it's just a part. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot more that exists now that really isn't in popular media. Mm-hmm. Overseas. Mm-hmm. Overseas being the other 189 countries. <laughs> right. It's like you're in China longer than the more you start thinking in terms of like Chinese and foreign. I know. And it's like, wait, foreign is a huge part of the world. <laughs> I think I even, I had an argument with a local friend last week where I was like, no, China is physically bigger than the US. And he's like, you t- how can you think this? I'm like, no, it's true, it's true, it's true. And of course, we're like, boom, breaking out the cell phones. And of mm-hmm. course, no, not really. Maybe like this much, depending on what you include in both quote unquote countries, right? Mm-hmm. But basically, landmass wise, we're about the same. Mm-hmm. But population wise, yeah. Boom. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> just exactly. massively different. But for some reason, it just, in my mind, because the cultural differences in China seem so so much more vast to me mm-hmm. than in the U.S. Like, I'm used to the differences in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to the differences here. Mm-hmm. So it just it feels like it's a much bigger place. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you compare one of the many minorities, like in Yunnan, mm-hmm. to, like, Shanghai person. It's just, like, radically mm-hmm. different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even Shanghaiese down to, um, like, somewhere even close, like somebody from Suzhou mm-hmm. or somebody from Hangzhou. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's just such a difference just within such a small area. You mentioned at one point, there was peeled away, was a phrase that you used in the story. Mm. Oh, the snakeskin. Yes! Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. What parts of you were peeled away? I think you already partially answered this, Mm -hmm. but let's keep going. Okay, sure, sure, (laughs) sure. I think I had, like, this idea of myself, just this, maybe a grander idea of, like, who I am and like mm-hmm. what I am capable of in this much more exaggerated version. And in many ways that I think about my writing too, where I was trying to be mm-hmm. a little more solemn and like capital W writer. And <laughs> I think like the parts that were peeling away was when I just started more recognizing, mm-hmm. like instead of posturing to try and be a certain way mm-hmm. or like, you know, teaching these classes and trying to be like, I'm an adult, even though I'm almost the same age as you, you know, <laughs> so it was a very strange turnaround. Yeah. I think probably this idea of, you know, I have, like, I have a big destiny and I have, mm-hmm. like, big shoes to fill and, like, I have to like, hurry up to fill them mm-hmm. kind of thing. <laughs> um, and this kind of idea where, like, I can do great things but it's going to come and go in spurts Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, it's going to be more of a journey. And I think some of the peeling away was... I guess it's... I don't really know. It's kind of a hard one to think about because I know that I changed a lot Mm -hmm. and 
think maybe like there's definitely like I mentioned maybe a little bit of arrogance mm-hmm. that also was peeled away a bit and like even like this peeling away of the skin also mm-hmm. had like thicker skin where I could mm-hmm. like handle a little more criticism and not go off the rails um, <laughs> making myself sound insane like when I was 22 but you know everything is so much more intense it's so and, extreme then yeah yeah it's sure. just like way more intense so what you're saying by kind of letting down your guard you were and being more vulnerable you were actually stronger than when you were when you first got here yeah I think so like when I kind of let myself be imperfect Mm -hmm. or I would kind of let myself make mistakes and not feel like Mm -hmm. I had to like turn it into like poeticize it or turn it into some kind of like Mm. but it's good because (laughs) and I I would do that a lot um I something I didn't like in China you know, I would say, people do this, but it's good because, or like, I made this mistake, but it's good because, and I just kind of <laughs> learned, like, I think one of the first mantras I had in China was just like, work with the failure. Mm. I was just like, you're going to stumble, you're going to make a mistake, but instead of just, you know, getting hung up on it, mm. like, turn it into something. Mm-hmm. And eventually that kind of shifted from just like trying to always turn it into a positive thing, mm-hmm. just to kind of accept it for what it is and turn mm-hmm. it into just something yeah so like I remember um a friend of mine was saying you know Hannah like you're you're definitely like you know I like your writing but I think you like something I always remember about you is that you're funny like I think back to things you say in mm-hmm. class and like you're funny like, mm-hmm. I still laugh when I think about it and I had never seen myself as a funny person up until then I'd always really? yeah I'd always up until then I would always just like seen myself as like kind of an intense serious person yeah only to be like People be like, oh, you're actually pretty funny. I was like, oh, I guess. Hmm. You are. And this piece was funny. There were moments when I was giggling when I was reading it. And there were moments when I was listening to you that I was giggling too. And I was like, oh, I forgot about that part. That is funny. Which is so funny because even now writing that, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is going to be funny. I was just kind of (laughs) writing it and thinking like, hmm. Funny because there were things that you like brought together, things that you connected that didn't seem like they were coming, sort of surprisingly connected. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. That is, it, and it was funny because mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, that came out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a swirling ghost mm-hmm. sneak. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring that in there one more time. <laughs> yeah, we got to weave that snake in there. <laughs> what do you think of this story now? Well, I do feel good about it in general just as like a piece, like as a piece that mm-hmm. came together. And a lot of that was because of like the editorial mm-hmm. help I had mm-hmm. um, sometimes you you create something and you think to yourself god there's something wrong about it but mm-hmm. i don't know what it is i can't see it mm-hmm. sometimes like you need someone whose taste you trust mm-hmm. and look and say oh well you just need to do this and this and you go oh my god you're right <laughs> that's what i needed but like you know looking back on my 22 23 year old self mm-hmm. you know it's funny because i sometimes can be very hard on my past self and i did have a, a friend actually a former professor of mine like kind of call me out on that she's like you know the past version of yourself is not like a worse version of yourself mm. you know it's not like you're it's not like you are constantly improving you know like you're the past version of yourself is just a different version of yourself mm-hmm. and wise words yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so like looking back on this piece yeah, there are actually some things about that 22, 23-year-old version of myself that I get kind of nostalgic about, mm-hmm. in a way. Like, I'll think, wow, like, I was I was really intense, but sometimes intensity is, can be kind of a good thing, like, you're, mm-hmm. or, like, the, kind of the urgency to, like, see and experience as much of China as mm-hmm. possible. Like, I mm-hmm. still like to experience China, but it's definitely, like, uh, calmed a bit since then, so to speak. <laughs> um, 
But so in some ways, like, can get a bit nostalgic. And I remember that first year, um, I didn't have a smartphone. I just mm-hmm. had, like, this brick Nokia phone. And so I was really, like, not super connected to that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 Like, I it was on the brink. That. Like, a lot of people are starting sure. to get smartphones. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't quite, like, nowadays in China, you have to have a smartphone. Sure. But and so I was really disconnected from, like, technology. Mm-hmm. And I had, like, and I would, like, write a lot. And I would do a lot mm-hmm. of journaling. And I wrote in my blog a lot. And part of that was because I just, I didn't know a lot of people. So I, like a lot of my free time would just go toward that. But at times I think like, yeah, but that wasn't so bad, was it? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's actually like pretty good. On the other hand, looking back, I can, I definitely have a different perspective of myself. Like, Mm -hmm. like now, of course, I can see that maybe I was being a bit defensive. (laughs) Like when people would talk to me about China Mm. or maybe I was being unreasonable with myself about expectations and like the kind of person I wanted to Mm -hmm. be. And Maybe it is okay that, you know, things didn't become legendary like I hoped they would because, mm-hmm. like, well, that'd be kind of crazy anyway if it just, like, became this grand thing right away. But in a way, like, it did become mm-hmm. grand, mm-hmm. just in a way I didn't expect. Yeah. What yeah. way did it become grand? Well, like, on a more literal, like, adventure level, I have done a lot of travel in yeah. China. Yeah. Like, um, and so in that sense, it was kind of like legendary, like an adventure. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, just like day to day, like getting by on my own and like meeting mm-hmm. these interesting people and like daily side quests kind of thing in a way <laughs> where you're just like, I met this person and then we got noodles, dun, dun, dun. what happened next, you know, <laughs> and like that kind of stuff. And there would be, and just like, I guess like you think of the typical, oh, I'm going to biff this word. Bildungsroman. Okay, well, it's like, it's the term for like a coming of age book, or like the ah, story of like, okay. you, like the protagonist growing up, like you think of Jane Eyre, like from the beginning to Gotcha, okay. But like, um, in a sense, it was very much like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm actually looking at settling in Shanghai now, and so mm-hmm. it is kind of like closing off that period of Hangzhou. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it definitely feels like the right time to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I made a recent trip to Hangzhou, and it was the first time I went back to Hangzhou and didn't feel like I was going home. It oh. felt like I was visiting Hangzhou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas coming back to Shanghai, I was like, yeah, now I'm coming home. Huh. Wow. Yeah, and it happened way quicker than I thought it would. I thought that it is would. quick. How many months have you been up here? Yeah, only like two months. Two months, yeah. Yeah, but it already, <clears throat> it already kind of, because it was kind of the next level that I was ready for. Like, But looking back at my Hangzhou time, it does feel... You know, it feels good. Like, mm-hmm. I accomplished the things I wanted to. But not even that. Like, it took me in directions I didn't expect yeah. it to. And that is the adventure. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the adventure. And, like, but when I was 22, that probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the adventure I expected, you know. Well, and I think what's really, really healthy and encouraging about what you did with your former self is that you didn't take all those characteristics of the things that might have been too extreme at 22, which who isn't. Mm-hmm. You didn't go, oh, I don't want those characteristics at all. You kind of just folded them into yourself and they're a part of you mm-hmm. and they don't have to be the only part of you and they but they're they're still there right like I know if I had written this story mm-hmm. when I was like even 23 24 mm-hmm. I definitely probably would have written in a more biased mm-hmm. way where I would have wanted to come off as like a perfect mm-hmm. hero or you know the kind of person or like not even perfect but like you know like for example the exchange my mom and I had I probably would have tried to frame it like sure. you know 
like, blew I her understand. Mind. Yeah, like, I blew her mind. Like, I understand China so much. She does. Whereas now I know that partially what, like, our conversations, he was also trying to help me feel good about where I was and, right. like, make sure, like, I'm doing fine. Yeah. You mentioned Julie being a really um, guiding force in the editing of this piece. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest uh, suggestion that you think brought it out to be the strong piece that it is? Well, the very original draft that I had, I had a lot more factual information about Hangzhou. Like, Mm -hmm. I had it where there'd be a section about me, and then, like, interspersed with, like, here's some factual stuff about Hangzhou. And so, so Julie was the one to go in and say, like, you know, I don't think you need that factual stuff. I think it's actually kind of taking away from your piece. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I actually see a really beautiful story of, like, the disillusionment or, like, coming of age, like, this mm-hmm. idea of, like, loss of innocence with youth. And mm-hmm. she was like, I feel like that would make a really great story. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest you go that direction. So she mm-hmm. kind of advice about how to do that. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was, like, really great advice to get. Well, okay, so wait, go back. So what it was before was those factual bits. And what were, what was the narrative then? Well, the narrative, I just had kind of, like, in a way, it was almost like three separate adventures. Sure. Like, I think one of them was, like, before going to Hangzhou. Oh, and one I of them. See. One of them was, like, seeing the snakes mm-hmm. adventure, and one of mm-hmm. them was, like, the Leifang Pagoda adventure. Okay. And then in between were, like, factual information about Hangzhou. Okay. And, like, and definitely it's a much stronger story now. It's much more cohesive. And I think it, I don't know, it definitely, I look back, I read it now, and I think, like, yeah, I'm happy with how this turned out. And, like, I don't know, she was really great to work with, because she, like, she didn't say, like, you have to do this. She was course, just, like... Yeah. No, yeah. I, th- I think this will be a good direction to go, and here's what I would suggest: like, yeah. go try, like, go try it. Kind right. of thing. Oh, that's amazing. That yeah. that it sounds like a very different, very different, two different, very different creatures. Yeah, yeah, very different stories. But it was, she mentioned this loss of innocence, and I didn't even see that in my story. You know, really? I didn't know, not at all. I was just writing this, thinking like, oh yeah, I'm just trying to like figure out this story, the Way. white snake, and, like, <laughs> you know, like. I'm just trying to figure this story Aww. out and, like, this connection to my life. And, like, for whatever reason... And that's what I mean. Sometimes you need, like, someone yeah. else to look at it. Because I was yeah. thinking, like, loss of innocence. And then uh, I thought, like, oh, I see it now. <laughs> it's so nice to have other eyes on your soul when your people are reading your writing like that. I know. And now you think, like, how could you not see that? Right? right? My worst culture talk is when I went to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I was blogging like crazy. And I was just hitting wall after wall after wall of... I don't even know what. It's not like I was totally unfamiliar with Chinese culture, but I just, for some reason, had just could not handle the difference between what I thought should exist in the world and what was right in front of me. And I was just blogging a ton. And a local actually commented on one of them, and they're like, you're so articulate. It must be really frustrating for you not to be able to function here. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, oh, I think you've hit on a huge part of my frustration. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's not only the culture, because there's differences everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe that's... Because it was the biggest linguistic difference. Mm -hmm. I couldn't read anything. Mm -hmm. Unlike in most of Shanghai that I've experienced, where you've got the pinyin on the street signs, Mm -hmm. Tainan would switch between Guiles and pinyin and just haunts the characters. So there'd be times when I'm riding around on my scooter and I know what street I'm on, even if it switches between Wade Giles and pinyin, I got used to the differences so I still knew I was on the same street. Mm -hmm. But when it switched to just characters, I was like, where am I? (laughs) Oh God. And I never felt so 
like unfunctional before and I was mm-hmm. like oh my god as soon as I read that comment I went oh mm. that's probably a huge part of what I'm dealing with right now but yeah. I didn't see that it's interesting yeah because like <clears throat> I like I said I I will never really have that experience with China because mm-hmm. like when I first came I did already have those right. two years of Chinese right but I did experience something similar to that when I first started my master's program mm. because like I was the only um foreigner in my class mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where I would read these novels, a lot of thoughts and mm-hmm. a lot of things I'd want to say, but I just didn't know how to say them mm-hmm. and I would get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. But like, luckily my professors were like really good about it, especially this one professor where we were looking at like 19th century European novels mm-hmm. and which, you know, try to imagine talking about Anna Karenina in Chinese. <laughs> it's just real hard. It's so hard. And like, um, and some of my, com- some of my contributions to class would be as, like, rudimentary as, like, this character does this, but then in this scene, he does this, mm. which means he is a very complicated, maybe not good person. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, luckily that professor could kind of, like, he kind of, he gave me benefit of the doubt, basically. Yeah. He's like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's clearly a linguistic thing. Like, you're pointing this out, it means you recognized it, but, like, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. don't know how to say it. yeah. Oh my god, that must have been so hard. Yeah, and actually I had a friend too, kind of similar to that commentator mm-hmm. in your blog, who said like, wow, especially for someone who likes to write poetry and mm-hmm. stuff, that must be really frustrating mm-hmm. to not like, express yourself so yeah. easily. Yeah, to being playful with words and descriptive and very specific and nuanced to mm-hmm. what is the most basic way, how do I get this out at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really frustrating experience. Yeah. The story was from 2012 and you moved down to Hangzhou. And you did Masters, and then you wrote this piece in 2016 while you were still in Hangzhou? Yeah, actually yeah. my timeline is like, I was English teacher for two and a half years, yeah. and that was like in a lump with when I first moved to China, and yeah. then I left for that little bit, and then I was doing my Masters for, like I still have yet to do my defense as we record this right, now, right, right. but like, it's um, <laughs> like I'm technically still doing the Masters, but like that's kind of the second half of Hangzhou times. So, <laughs> of Hangzhou times. Of Hangzhou. And the Masters was completely in Chinese, right? Yes. <sighs> <laughs> yes, legendary, I think, is a good word to describe <laughs> your experience in China. That's amazing. Um, okay, so you went, and now you're working for Six Tone. Mm-hmm. And what do you see as your future in Shanghai? Is there mm-hmm. anything big, any big goals on the horizon? Um, you know, it's... It's interesting because, like, I remember when I was younger, I made this kind of bucket list with one of my friends, Mm -hmm. and top of my bucket list was go to China, Mm -hmm. and then the next one was write something I'm proud of, Mm -hmm. and then, like, the... And then, like, further down, the li- <laughs> further down the list was, like, you know, fall in love and get married and sure, all that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> oh, those things. Oh, those things, right. And so it's funny because with all the travel I've done, like, I feel like, wow, okay, I've really kind of done that and it was so great, mm-hmm. but I do feel kind of satisfied about that. Like, I do, I'm kind of ready to focus more on, like, my career mm-hmm. and being p- more part of, like, a literary community and mm-hmm. doing more reading and writing mm-hmm. and like, translating and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm actually... I see my future in Shanghai being maybe more professionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, still having fun, for sure, and, like, yeah. probably still travel in there, but, like, definitely leaning more toward, like, the professional mm-hmm. artistic side of Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and I've already been, like, in a lot of these groups, so it's already pretty exciting. Yay! There's yeah. so much stuff happening in Shanghai. I know. In that arena. It's just, it's, yeah, pretty amazing. My next Chinese language test is in December. 
Ooh. And so I am ignoring every single notification on things that are happening, and it's really crazy. Mm. It's annoying me. Yeah, there's so much <clears throat> happening. I, so much. I was originally going to do my Chinese like HSK test mm. like in December, mm-hmm. January, but then like my Chinese tutor was like, that's pretty soon. <laughs> and he's like, I yeah. think you should focus on graduating first, and then we can. Yes. He's like, and then we can yeah. like look at this for sure for <laughs> sure for sure for me it's like the end cap of just a giant vocabulary dump mm-hmm. and i'm not i, I will not be ready <laughs> at all but it's it's sort of like a an end cap and then i'll go back and redo everything <laughs> it's like layers i need to do this in layers because oh <laughs> yeah. Ow. Ow. okay two more questions one is actually from the gentleman that recommended that I read that story, mm-hmm. and I have, I'm searching for my phone, not because I'm reading messages while we're talking, but because he <laughs> actually left part of it on my phone yesterday, because mm. I told him I was talking to you today about this. Mm. His name is Shing, and he's actually, what, was he in episode one? I believe he was the first interview that I did for this podcast. He did his bachelor's in Scotland, and when I met him was about a week before he went back to visit for the first time since he left. Mm. So there had been, like, I think a 10-year difference mm. between when he was there as a student and when he went back. And the the combination of him going back to that place that he used to write a lot and he loved writing mm-hmm. and then talking about it during the interview and he just he started to think, what where did that part of me go? And he started mm. to write since his trip to Scotland. Mm. And so his his creative side is kind of flourished again. He's writing quite a bit and and trying to shape it into a career. Mm. And he's actually had a few things that are going to be published soon Mm. and all this kind of stuff. And so his question is connected to this, which is why the long, heady intro to this question. Here it is. So part of it is written and part of it is vocal. So we'll see if this comes across in the thingy. So the question is, I think, and this is from Shing, not from me, I think I'm most curious about what she's doing now in terms of her career. She's still writing. Is she pursuing a writing career? If so, is her writing able to support herself financially? And hold on, there's a second part to that. I'm asking this question, these questions because of my uh, personal, I want to pursue a writing career. And then I want to see like how other people are doing. So I think we already answered part of that, but mm-hmm. is there any part that we haven't answered? So it's that one. Okay. Well, I definitely am still doing writing. I will say, like, recently with, like, thesis stuff and all kinds of other mm-hmm. stuff, I have not done as much recently as I would like, but kind of out of necessity. I do want to keep writing, and I do want to pursue some kind of writing career, mm-hmm. but I definitely still feel like I don't really know what I'm doing in mm-hmm. terms of that, and so <laughs> it's also part of the goal of being in Shanghai is to mm-hmm. be in a more professional setting where I can kind of learn from the people around me. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of step one in my scheme if you want to call it that sure, sure, sure. just like being in a position where I can learn from people who if they don't know what they're doing they at least like kind of have an idea of the world mm-hmm. in a way also just like writing regularly and I think the community is a big thing for me like even in Hangzhou mm-hmm. my friend and I started up a poetry group and a writing group mm. because we just like really craved that community and like mm-hmm. wanted that support yeah um as of right now, does writing support your career? No, it does not support my life. And it would be wonderful if I could get to a stage mm-hmm. where that would happen. But I also recognize it's kind of difficult. Kind of my immediate goal, anyway, is to just like, you know, work 
um, work and job I can support myself, mm -hmm. but also a job that I can kind of leave behind, like once I clock out, right? So I can have that evening time yeah. to myself, or like morning time to myself, or whatever. And current mm -hmm. position: Are you just editing what other people write, or are you also writing and contributing in that way? I'm mostly editing what other people write, but mm -hmm. I did actually write a piece for them about ghost stories that mm -hmm. I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so it is open, like if I want to write something, mm -hmm. but like mostly I'm editing. I do kind of want to get into translation because it combines like the writing and the editing, but not mm -hmm. in a way that I think would kill the creative writing. Right, right. Because I, I think I discovered that if I were to have a job that were to write full time, I think that would kind of kill it for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't really know. That's actually something I'm still trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody has like a different answer to that. I guess my plan is like, as long as I'm in a community and I'm constantly trying to create new things and like put them places. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest challenge is like, mm -hmm. not just to create a thing, but then to like put it somewhere. Yeah. And not just say, well, I'm done now, I guess. No, it has to live somewhere. Right. But, yeah. it's hard. but that's, that's the thing that like, people say that, but it's like, how do you do that? Right. Like, and that's kind of why I need like a community of people yeah. to be like, or even people who know of a person who's asking for papers or something. Like, right, even, right, like, right. that kind of stuff. Right. So part of it is, like, actually creating the thing, <sighs> but yeah. then, like, being in a position where I can do something with the thing. Yeah. The creative process is so crazy. The difference between it coming out of you and it existing in the world and interacting with other people mm -hmm. that have similar ideas or that want to learn from it or that whatever. I mean, there's such a huge divide between the two sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like getting it to be experienced. And so for your friend, you know, I, like I said, it's different for everyone, but mm -hmm. I am glad that he's like gotten back to writing because sometimes like when we get busy, we forget to, we forget to do that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like even, even if you don't have plans to be a professional writer, like mm -hmm. you still need some kind of reflection time yeah. and writing is one of many wonderful ways to do that. But yeah, I guess like I don't have any concrete advice except to just like keep creating things and like finding places to put it. This has been exciting to have this essay because I've actually never had the experience of someone reading something I've written and like contacting me and saying like, wow, this really spoke to me and like I've <laughs> written things all over and I'm thinking, oh my God, really? <laughs> so I've actually never had that experience before. Really? Or, like, I've, or at least not that I'm aware of. Like yeah, I've yeah. written blog entries and I've had people follow and read, but that's yeah. like different. It's kind of like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and mostly I'm writing about travel, so for all I know, they're just kind of like, oh yeah, that does sound cool. Mm. But... Yeah, so it is It is exciting, and, like, something else that Julie told me is, like, yeah, just, like, even if you just, like, self-publish a little collection of poetry, it'll mean the world to have, like, somebody, like, take out their little 50 quai bill or, mm -hmm. or whatever and just, like, read it and treasure it. Like, mm -hmm. that's just such an amazing feeling. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay, so what story or character is super present in your life today? Mm. Or characters or stories. I don't, I don't mean to singularize no, no, no. it. Um, singularize a word? <laughs> oh, it's fine. I said, well, I guess there are some characters of my own creation kind of lurking in the shadows. Mm. Um, I have yet to do anything with them. Mm. So, like, but I, I have like those kind of characters lurking around. But funny enough, all these years have passed. I'm still interested in Chinese ghost stories. Like, it hasn't really... With good reason. Ghost right. stories are so cool. Especially Chinese ghosts. <laughs> they are legitimately very cool. So, mm -hmm. like, I've been... Uh, I've had kind of some of those stories mm -hmm. in mind. Because some of them are just really quirky. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there, there are some that have a legitimately terrifying ghost. Mm -hmm. um, then there are some where it's, like, 
this ghost is infused with these kind of leaves. If you mm-hmm. steep it in tea and drink it, you'll die and be barred from reincarnation. And it's like, what? Oh. <laughs> Where did that even come from? Like, how did you even think of that? Or like, <laughs> one of my favorites is there's like this, it's called The Tiger Guest, and it was mm. Luis Borges' like one of his favorite stories from his collection, like, mm. go figure. And it's like this, <laughs> ti- like this man who's actually like a tiger in disguise. who's mm. just like... You know, he has this whole thing, like, we're going to go to do a poetry reading with all my friends. And he's joining them. They're like, we're going to do a competition to see who can do the best poetry. And he's like, I know, like, if someone reads a bad poem, we kill him. And they're just like, nah, let's just take a drink. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he's like, oh, fine, if you insist. And so they're like... <laughs> And so they're going around the circle, and he's getting angry because they're reading just really awful poetry. <laughs> he's just like, this tiger guy's getting so mad. Until eventually he just cannot stand it. And, like, they can tell he's getting mad. So they start reading, like, really bad poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just, like, transforms into a tiger and, like, murders a bunch of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, traps them. And they become, like, his slaves in, like, the afterworld. Like, the only way they can not be slaves is until he, like, kills the next poet. And I'm like, what the hell? Awesome. But I, I, I love it, and it's like, I, I think what's so cool about these stories is there's just, like, I don't know, just, like, the situations, and, like, we would never think of, you know, oh, yeah, this, like, ghost killed people because of bad poetry, you know, like, <laughs> but I love that. But it makes sense. But it makes sense. <laughs> and, like, so, I mean, I, I have a lot of those stories in mind, and then, mm-hmm. like, um, I guess, like, a lot of my, some of my own characters, like mm-hmm. I said, that I have yet to do stuff with, mm-hmm. and... You could translate a bunch of Chinese ghost stories into a tiny collection. I could do that. I would. There, mm. there definitely have been translations mm. of these stories, but there, there is a way Giles translation, but he's like super Victorian about it. Mm. Where there's like boring. Well, yeah. So yeah. there's like some pretty like. Um, salacious details. Yeah. And he would just like not include them or uh-huh. like kind of. Make them nice and tidy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's a bit biased. And I mean, I've been reading on my own too. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess recently my focus has been more on like the thesis and like the sure, like the poetry and translation of the poetry and yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I did, I did kind of treat myself recently, and I read one of my favorite authors is Neil Gaiman, and mm-hmm. so I, I read um, Neverwhere recently, mm-hmm. and that was just such a lovely treat. And so then I was thinking mm-hmm. about like. So for a while, I was walking around Shanghai and trying to think of, like, what would be the secret spirit world of Shanghai and, like, that oh. kind of stuff. And so I was kind of imagining, like, ooh. So it, it's kind of funny thinking about that because although I like to think I'm so different from my mm-hmm. 22-year-old self, mm-hmm. I definitely still, I've definitely gotten more removed from, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, everything is fantastical. But it's still there just from being a creative person, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I can cross the street without, you know, being crazy about it, but I can definitely still think, like, ooh, that shadow looks pretty interesting. What if it was this? Or what if it was like that? Ooh. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking near the Bund, some of the older neighborhoods around there, at least right now, there's still a lot of really old buildings still Mm -hmm. kind of around that area. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I was thinking about that a lot after Never Wear. And and then there's, like, this Bund sightseeing tunnel where it has this, like... Oh, yeah. And (laughs) the thing is, there's a part of me that does kind of, like, garish, tacky things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. But definitely... And I'm on that page. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, this is, you're riding this tunnel, and there's these, like, neon lights, and there's these voices, like, saying, almost kind of like a scientific, like, they're teaching you kind of factual way, like, <laughs> protozoa, and, like, in Chinese and English. But in the end, it bizarrely starts saying, heaven and hell, 
heaven and hell. And you're just like, whoa. I haven't actually been on this. I've just seen pictures. So yes. I, yeah. It's pretty wild. Like, it's very short, but it's also yeah. pretty wild. Huh. Um, so, yeah, just like <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I kind of, like I said, I do seek out mm-hmm. kind of the weird stuff in mm-hmm. any place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think back to, like, you went to Japan. Like, when I went to Osaka, <clears throat> I very specifically sought out kind of the quirkier things there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, nah. Osaka's pretty different from Kyoto. I'm going to make sure of it that in my memories, they are very different places. (laughs) So, like, I went to the Noodle Museum in Osaka. When you mentioned this before about liking these kinds of places, I was like, oh, you've probably already heard of Atlas Obscura, and you said... Like, I've written for Atlas Obscura. (laughs) And I came over and told my husband, he's like, she did what? (laughs) Yeah, like, I actually wrote for a couple places... Um, all in China, because I was like, at the time, like, I think this is back in, like, 2014. Yeah. I was just like, wow, their China section sucks. Like, they need more China. And I was like, there's some pretty weird stuff in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, listeners, if you don't know, Atlas Obscura has, as you can guess from the name, sort of obscure, very fun, kitschy places in different parts of the world. Is there any place they don't cover? I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't really checked in detail. I would imagine, yeah. like, maybe places with less people are less covered. Yeah, maybe. But for all I know, there's probably still an entry for Antarctica, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can you can search by location, and it's some really, really cool stuff in there. <laughs> Final thoughts on this piece, your experience, your first year in China, looking back. Mm. Is there anything cheesy you'd like to say to your first year in China self? Mm. <laughs> to end the therapy session? Sure, sure. <laughs> I guess, like, when I think back to myself, you know, there's kind of, like I said, this almost urgency, like, I have to do something great. I mm-hmm. have to, like, live this destiny and do mm-hmm. something really great. I think if I were to tell my 22-year-old self anything, I probably would just say, like, you are on the brink of a really amazing adventure, mm-hmm. but you don't need to worry about it so much. Or, like, mm-hmm. or you don't need to try and make it so, like, it's it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Stop trying so hard, it will happen. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, like just chill, mm-hmm. call your mom more, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, call, like, talk, like email people more. Or I wonder what makes us so restless in our early 20s. I don't know what it is, but I did, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, my, mm. I remember a friend of mine was saying, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm still working on improving my writing and like I had this kind of like nothing I write now is worthwhile and she said like no you definitely need to keep creating things now because there's this is the age where you like are really care about things mm-hmm. and like you're really concerned about a lot of things but yeah. yeah yeah but there is kind of like this restlessness that mm-hmm. you know I think after I had I, so I've been to every single province and like mm-hmm. after I did complete all these provinces there was like a huge restlessness within me that was mm-hmm. just felt satisfied like, okay, it's kind of at a point where I thought, like, okay, that was that was amazing. It was a great adventure. Yeah. And now on to the next thing. Yep. And like, I, if I do travel in the future, it'll be great. But it's also like, it's fine if I don't travel for a while. Let's leave with a takeaway. Is there any Chinese ghost story, story, <laughs> film, short story, website, video, or something that somebody who doesn't speak Chinese can see online somewhere? The ghost collection that I keep referring to mm. is like stories from a strange studio like mm. Wuzong Ling. Okay. And there are English translations of it. The Wade Giles one is like the well the earliest English translations. It's not a bad translation. Yeah. It's just like it's definitely a product of the times. Right, right, right. Um I think there are more 
modern translations of mm. it. But there's, um, but there's even like more modern writers who incorporate a lot of Chinese ghost elements. Like mm-hmm. we think of Amy Tan; she yeah. has a lot of that. The stories from a strange studio. I think like the painted skin is mm-hmm. one of the most famous stories from that collection. Painted skin. Yeah, the painted skin, and so that one is definitely more on like the the scary ghost mm-hmm. side. Oh, okay, like, you're not gonna have like. That's some terrible poetry. Die now. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen in that story. That's actually I know, right? Like, oh, my God. Of all reasons. <laughs> I mean, you can almost uh, like, take out poetry. Like, terrible song, terrible short story, <laughs> terrible fiction, terrible... But, like, some of the yeah. stories, like, another one of my favorites is, like, um, this is called Xiu Tai Guo, which mm. is, like, scholar Guo, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's, like, a good English translation that I know of. There probably are, and I'm just, like, not sure, so I'm just saying that right now. Um, <laughs> but the, um, where it's, like, this guy, like, suddenly this, like, this ghost possesses him, he's, like, trying to write his essay, and, oh my god, it controls his hand, there's, like, slash marks all over, and it's, like, destroying everything, ah. right, and he's freaking out, and he calls his friend over, like, oh my god, I got possessed, look at my essay, and his friend goes, wherever this ghost is like they should they should be your teacher like, they, like there's like there's some there's some really good edits like this is a really good editor and he's like what and so then like he ends up continuing to let himself be possessed by this ghost and ends up having this amazing literary career oh but my then God. he gets really arrogant about it and he's just like i did this all myself mm. i'm a great writer and the ghost gets mad and just like destroys all of his work and like abandons him to his mediocrity. Oh my god! Wait, what was the name of the story again? Um, the chi- like the name that I keep seeing come up is uh, Xiu Tai Guo. So that's mm. like X I U C A I, and then Guo is G U O. Okay. Um, that just means like scholar Guo. But I, I yeah. love that story, and that I've been kind of playing awesome. around with that in my imagination a bit, to, like see if I could do something with that. Oh my gosh. If I say you pray love, most people like roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, but the author Elizabeth Gilbert, when she talks about creativity, mm-hmm. is friggin' brilliant, mm-hmm. and she has a TED talk on talking about like writers and writing and creativity, and are we comfortable with the whole like the writers responsible for everything that happens, which usually like drives them to isolation, kind of going crazy, and all this kind of negative things that happen. Mm-hmm. And so she talks about the old-fashioned idea of the muse, mm-hmm. and that the writer wasn't necessarily uh, responsible for mm-hmm. what was happening during mm-hmm. the process. And so she goes through it, you know, in the 15 minutes that you have for a TED Talk. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think of, yeah, is it our doing? Mm-hmm. Is it kind of like a, a combination of something bigger and us together? Is it just that we're the medium? Like, what is happening when creativity happens? Mm-hmm. And that whole thing. It's very similar to that story. Yeah, yeah. In it's a like, way. it did make me think of a muse a lot. Mm-hmm. Just like... Yeah, but it was just like you don't expect that from a ghost story. No, you don't. So, I mean, the collection, like, stories from a strange studio are definitely, like, not necessarily horror stories, Mm -hmm. but, like, definitely just unusual, Mm -hmm. strange stories. And usually a lot of them end up with the humans actually being questionable characters, but the ghosts (laughs) being, like... Pretty cool. Which could happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. We're not all innocent. And right, right. They're probably not all evil. So I, guess, like, <laughs> so I guess if I were to recommend ghost stories, I would probably recommend, like, that collection, or at least, mm-hmm. like, starting there. The mo- One of the most popular ones is The Painted Skin, mm-hmm. which is definitely more on, like, the slightly scary, creepy side. Mm-hmm. But there are some unique ones, like The Tiger Guest. That's the poetry one. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. exaggerating the ridiculousness of no, it, of course, but it's awesome. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Xiu Tai Guo. 
and yeah, there are some very good ones. Yeah, yeah. If you, we were talking about travel a bit before we started the interview, and if you do happen to go to Japan, mm -hmm. um, look up the Gokai. I think it's G O K A I is the mm -hmm. romanization of this category of monsters, mm -hmm. but they're not all monsters, right? Mm -hmm. They're like um, famous ghosts, famous spirits. Spirits is probably a better word that kind of work their way into. I want to say Shinto mm. religion, and and they're just they're everywhere. And actually, in the library, the first time I was teaching in Tokyo, um, I found an English book that had the different pictures of the what they were supposed to look like, and the descriptions and what they do, and all this kind of really cool information. So I brought it in, and our my students and I were talking about it, and they didn't even realize that that wasn't in every culture. They were just like, oh, what, huh? And they've never talked about it in English. And so it was kind of cool. I was like, this is so cheating because I love stories like that. And I'm like, here, let's talk about something I'm interested in. <laughs> and you're practicing how to talk about this with other people in English. And so it was really, really cool. But the you'll see, like, once you know what they are, you'll start to see them everywhere in Japan. You'll start to see the turtle guy, who I totally forget the name of. He's on so at the outside of so many restaurants. Mm. And you'll start to see, like, their images all mm -hmm. over the place, mm. not realizing, oh, these are, like, fanciful spirits from Shinto mythology. Mm. And so it's, it's really, really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Anyway, I don't think they're ghostness. I don't know. What's mm. the difference between a ghost and a spirit? Man, I don't know. Nah. That's like a, and actually, I'm not usually good at like the semantics of no, these kinds of things. But no. like a, yeah, a ghost. ghost. I guess like ghosts tend to have like this notion of like vengeful spirit, whereas like a spirit, or at least like that's how people tend yeah. to see them. Whereas like yeah. a spirit, I think spirit tends to read more religious, maybe. Maybe like yeah, yeah. The yeah. spirit is like a soul kind of thing. There's definitely a difference between the two somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's all. Well, it's fine. That's mm. fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on here. I can't, I never would have imagined this happening as I was scribbling in concrete months and months ago. This is so cool. Yeah, well, I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. Like, I never imagined that I would meet a fan or have a fan while I was, like, writing this. So that's really exciting. I look forward to everything that you do in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I welcome and encourage guests on this podcast, so please do contact me if you have a first-year experience that you'd like to reflect on in your current day state. You don't have to currently still be living in the same place. There does need to be some time distance between when you experienced that country and that first-year experience and where you are now. It doesn't need to be as long as my, my 13 or 14 years is from this experience, but there does need to be sometime after the first year ended. Contact me for more details. I would love to hash that out with you and have you be a guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Expat Rewind. More coming your way soon.